Father, this is a great day. Every day you have made is a day that we should rejoice in, particularly as believers. We, we have freedom from our sins. We have joy in Jesus Christ. And yes, life is difficult, Lord. There, there are those in this room who struggled just physically to get here, and they came. It, it, was, it was difficult to, to get dressed and to, to manage out of a house and to get to cars. And, and Lord, their health is not where they wish it was, but they're here. And there's others that wrangled children this morning and tried to get them awake and to get them here and, and to have a good spirit about them, Lord. We come from all different backgrounds, different walks. We come from different places in our spiritual life, Lord, but we are here. And this is the day the Lord has made for us to exalt our Savior. And we should be full of joy. Lord, and I pray that if there are those lacking from joy, Lord, that this message would expose why it's lacking and, and then pour in that joy that they need. Because you have done a mighty work and we follow a mighty God. And so, Lord, strengthen us as we look into your word today. May it jump all over us. May it conform us more to the image of Christ. May it challenge and encourage, rebuke and, and exhort all that the Word of God is meant to do, Lord. We give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if I was to hold up a red can with a swoosh on it, what would you think that can was? Cokes. <laughs> Coca-Cola. I don't know what you said. Um, we trademarks. And trademarks are really easy for us, right? We, they give us trademarks so that we can remember who it is, you know, um, what's in your wallet. Uh, you, you hear those slogans, right, and those trademarks to help nail down uh, their selling so that you remember their product. It was interesting. I looked at the trademarks of Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola's been around for over 130 years. They have 50 trade lines or taglines that they have used. Some of them you would remember. I'd like to buy a world of Coke you young ones that was before you, um, 70s, early 80s. Uh, uh, they came out with a song even with that. It's the real thing. Now their new one is Taste the Feeling. Um, other slogans that make you re try to buy things, Can You Hear Me Now? <laughs> How about this one? Moms showed that this wasn't true, but it ran for a long, long time. Melt in your mouth, not in your hands. What product? M&M's, yeah. See, there's a trademark, right? There's a slogan that attaches those things to it. Our, our military has done a good job with these things. We now become a military family. Um, join many of you. Um, Army says, be all you can be. Army strong, right? Uh, Navy, their new one is global force of good. They just put that out. Marines, looking for a few good men. Um, Air Force, aim high, fly, fight, win. Coast Guard, born ready. These are terms that they try to help us understand what their goal is, to trademark themselves in our mind. And all of them have some kind of effort to, to be involved with this. Be all you can be, looking for a few good men. They, they, they appeal to that part of us that loves to, to do something. Uh, then I got thinking about this. I thought there's a whole other opposite side of that going on. There's an appeal to do nothing in the world now. Your problems are because of someone else, and we're the government, and we want to take care of you now and vote for us. And so we have this age that's growing up where the average gamer is 35 years old, male, and still lives at home and has no job. 
All of this points to the flesh of man trying to entangle our view of what God has for us. When you think about our text today, as David read that, it's a text that is in contrast to human reasoning. It, it, we come to the gospel empty-handed. That's not normal for us, right? If somebody gives you something, say they just walk up to you and give you a gift, your first thought is, well, how can I you know, reciprocate to this? How can, I, can, how can I give them something back? It's just innate into us. But the gospel's not like that. There's nothing we can give back to gain the acceptance of God. And so the world pulls on us. But this passage really is a trademark of the Lord Jesus' gospel. And it teaches us that salvation comes from no one else but him. And we follow him in the most difficult times and in the most, the most hardest times and the most good times we experience. It's a salvation that is a gift from God that you are willing to lay down and if he asks, you would give all to follow him. Did you you catch my caveat there? Someone says, well, I I don't want to pray the missionary prayer because I know he's going to send me to Africa. (laughs) Well, talk to Jeff and Karen about that. (laughs) Well, he may. And the question is, is Christ so glorious? That's what we're going to answer today. Are you willing to lay it all down? I'll give it all to you to follow. It's a rejection of self. That was a big hurdle for the disciples, for the religious leaders of the, today, of the day, and it is very difficult for people today. And so following this great confession, remember last week Peter confesses, Matthew tells us that the Father gave him that understanding. He confesses that Jesus Christ was truly the long-awaited Messiah. And then in this last section, we come to this pinnacle text, how Christ says how you can gain eternal life. And it's in contrast to the proud, works-based religion of Jesus' day. And it's in contrast, friends, I want you to hear this, is in contrast to the contemporary, self-absorbed, self-esteem-driven, prosperity gospel message of today. They will not preach this text in its context. Because it is about giving everything away, giving up everything to follow Christ versus health, wealth, and prosperity. This true gospel message from Jesus is the death nail to false religions. It really is. It's the death nail to false religions. It's the death nail to easy believism in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ will clearly lay out, as we'll see, the character of true saving faith and the cost of following Christ. I've named the sermon around the trademark of true Christianity. And, uh, and I think I see this clearly in the text. Let's look at first thought. Number one, the great evangelist and his trademark gospel. The great evangelist and his trademark gospel. Look at verse 34. And he, it's Jesus, summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. After Peter's declaration that we saw in these earlier verses leading up to this, that Jesus was the Messiah, things fell apart a little bit, right? First, he tries to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. He did not like the direction um, 
the Lord had laid out, right? Um, I'm going to die. I'm going to die at the hands of sinful man. The religious leaders are going to kill me and put me to death, and I will beat death and be resurrected in three days. Well, Peter, as you remember, seeks to expose error of Jesus in his thinking. He doesn't like that, and he pulls him aside. And so, so Jesus must rebuke him for thinking like a man. We remember we talked in length about this last week. We often want Jesus to line up with the way we think. Boy, that's dangerous. And if you look at the religions of the world who play around with Jesus, that's exactly what they're doing. They create a gospel that, that they think they can get Jesus to line up with. But that's not the gospel that he preaches. They, like most, fail to realize that a sacrifice of sins is required. Sin is at the heart of a lot of the gospel. The gospel is needed because we are sinners. Christ had to overcome sin, our sin particularly, by becoming sin for us in a sense. So God had to judge him in our place. So he had to take the the wages of our sin. So that didn't go good with Peter. And it doesn't go good with people today. Even yesterday as I was preaching First Peter chapter 1, um, there were many, in, I think, in the, in the room who may not know Christ. And as I dealt with sin, you could just see the difficulty of some to receive that. Just makes your skin crawl if you don't believe you're a sinner. And so the Lord had to help him realize there is no cross, excuse me, there's no kingdom before a cross. There, there must be a cross before a kingdom. And so he deals with Peter in that. And then the suffering Messiah was, was to be anticipated, not through that means. They, they thought, well, let's come set all this up through the means of one who can conquer. But, but Jesus' Jesus' plan was better. To top it off, the gospel message came with a cost, right? Not a monetary cost, not a religious cost. So, so the gospel comes with a cost. We see it in this Bible, is, is that you must lay down your life. It's not a religious cost. It's not a gain. Uh, well, you give me this, I'll give you something back. It's a self-denial cost. Notice Jesus summons the crowd with his disciples. I want to see this first little phrase in verse 34. Here Jesus summons the crowd with his disciples. It's a very important little phrase. Remember, he has had this little private conversation. He's been walking towards, prob- probably walking towards Caesarea Philippi. Maybe he's in town now, and where Mark picks up the story here, he is now surrounded by lots of people. He's had an intimate conversation with the disciples, and particularly Peter, of saying, look, you're thinking like a man. After that conversation, he turns and he gathers everyone around him. And this is extremely important, because this is not exclusive gospel for his disciples. This is not exclusive gospel for Americans or or any other race. He gathers these people around him. The message was for everyone in the world. And the message transcends time and cultures. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentiles. It is the same message we're preaching today. And so it's interesting that he gathers them all together. He turns from Peter and says, I'm going to summon the crowd. I'm going to bring them together. I'm going to tell them the trademark of the gospel. And he does that in an amazing way. Notice the phrase he says, if anyone wishes to come after me. Isn't that interesting? 
um, our friends who are more in the free will type of movement, they love to take these personal pronouns and try to use them as, as the platform for their doctrine. But the anyone is, is, is that the gospel is not for just some elite group. It's, it's not for, for um, just uh, some religious sect or even the disciples or, or those. It's, it's for anyone. And, and let me say it this way. It's for every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. It's for the elect of God. I mean, just, just quickly, just think through this. How can God be God if he doesn't know whose are his? The Bible is very clear on this. And so he's saying this is not for an elitist group. If anyone, as he looks at this group, he's in Caesarea, a very pagan city. He's been with Jews. He's been with Gentiles. His, his disciples are mostly Jewish that are with him. And here he says, if anyone comes, if anyone wishes to come after me. So there's no back doors. There's no side doors. There's no partiality. This is the one way, one truth, one life, reality, gospel that he is preaching to them. It's an open invitation to every tribe, tongue, nation, and people to lay down your own belief system and follow me. So Jesus first exhorts, his first exhortation of salvation is that it is grasped through self-denial. Notice in the text it says this, he must, isn't that interesting, he must deny himself. The Greek phrase here has the idea that uh, it really, here's actually the translation, to have no association with or disown completely. I'll just give you the, word, the definition. Let me read that again. To have no association with or disown completely. You know what's interesting about this word? It's the same word Peter used when he denied Jesus Christ in the courtyard. I have no association with Jesus. Man, that, that brought shivers down me as I found, figured that out. I was chasing this word down. But think about it in a relationship to our salvation. Think about the, de- the definition. Uh, one can only receive salvation when he or she rejects all association with having anything to do with gaining salvation through oneself. I can't do it on my own, Lord. I need you. One good friend of mine said, um, as he was a young boy, he fell into a river that he'd swum a million times in. But for some reason, he grabbed, when he jumped in, he grabbed a mouthful of water and he was going down and he'd come up once and twice. And then the third time, he said, I knew I was going to die. And the last thing I could, I couldn't get through the water, but I could break my hand through the water. So all I could do is just break my hand through the water. And his friend had seen him run down, got on a log and grabbed his hand and pulled him out. He said, I was dead for sure. And that's all we do by faith that God gives us. We fling out a hand. I have nothing. And God rescues us. And that's, that's this example of this gospel that's here. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. We all think we're better than we are, don't we? We're, we're, we're born sinners, so we're born with this innate thinking that we're basically good. And then we do some bad things and we become bad. Well, it's just dead wrong. <laughs> It just flat misses the mark. The Bible says we're born sinners. We're born at wrath with God, enemies to God. Our sin has set us there. And so here's this self-denial. And so in other words, Lord, I, have dis- I disown completely any involvement in my salvation. I simply come to you by faith alone. That's salvation. Not with a list of 
do's and don'ts and telling him what you have done. You see, the Lord's point is if you want to follow me, and I'm going to heaven, I'm going to eternity with my Father, you must recognize that you have nothing in you that has the ability to save you. See, lack of repentance will block you from this. That's why repentance is such an important part of what we teach. So a person who won't repent, who just says, well, maybe I can believe in Jesus and that he died and did all those things, but I never repent, that blocks you from coming empty-handed. You see, just a lack of repentance says, Lord, there's nothing in me that I really need to turn from. I'm just going to believe you. That's what's taught today in so many churches. There's never taught sin. Boy, you go to, the, you go to their teachings and their trainings. The last thing they want you doing is bringing up that little three-letter word. And yet, that is the stumbling block of contemporary Christian Christianity. Look, we repent from our sins. Lord, left to myself, my sins will be judged by you. And I will come up lacking. And so I repent of sins. We repent of self-righteousness. It's, boy, even as believers, you know this. It's so ingrained in us, isn't it? If someone says something to you that you didn't quite like and it got under your skin a little bit, Anybody have this problem? You can tell I do. <laughs> right? Ooh, who are you to talk about what I'm wearing? You non-floral people. <laughs> you know, there's a little self-righteousness that wants to sneak out of us all the time, isn't it? Now you tie that to salvation and you'll go to hell. I, 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 I'm not like them. You should see my neighbors, how bad they are. Sorry, my neighbors, they're actually here. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we think that way, right? It's just, it's just prone to us. This is dangerous stuff, a list of good works, ambitions and agendas, all of these block you. Simply, I cannot gain entrance into heaven and be accepted by God through any of my own doing. Jot down just a few verses. I want to read these quickly and move on here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31 but by his doing, God, you are in Christ Jesus. Man, I love that terminology of that verse. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Who became to us the wisdom from God. You would not have the wisdom of God if it wasn't for God. You would look at this book and you would go, just like the rest of the world does, go, I don't get it. There's all kinds of bad stuff in it. Yeah, Jesus was, he seemed to be a pretty good guy. Uh, why, do you guys, why do you guys memorize this? See, if it wasn't for the wisdom of God enlightening you, you would not appreciate the word of God. You would go to a church that, if you felt religious of some sort, that really didn't use the Bible. And, and then the verse goes on a little farther. And the righteousness. By his doing, we have the righteousness of Christ. Because you better have that when death comes. I mean, you, you, you don't get in heaven without wearing the righteousness of Christ. He must dress you in his own righteousness. That means that there was imputation that took place. Your sins were imputed upon him, and his righteousness was imputed upon you. Has that happened? Because if it hasn't happened, it's not his doing, right? His doing is to give you the wisdom of God, to put you in Christ, to give you righteousness. Then he says sanctification. That means he sets you apart, 
Now, I think he's talking about initial sanctification here. He chose to set you apart at that time and place when he brought you to salvation, when he flooded your mind and heart of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, helped you understand your sin, brought you to the point where you would plead for him to save you. He set you apart. Here's what he did. You're not in the world anymore. Or of the world. Let's use a right preposition. I've taken you. I've taken you from my enemy's side, the one led by Satan, the one, the father of lies. I've taken you from him and I've placed you in my own family. I've set you apart. See, this is by his doing. And then he said, he uses the word redemption in this verse. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 30. You are in Christ and he redeemed you. Well, well that's the ultimate price, right? He purchased us. Christ purchased us. You, you, did you help out with that? And, and how, tell me, how would you have helped out with the redemption of your soul? What, what would you have to offer the king of glory to purchase your soul that was headed for hell? See, to the believer we go, nothing. Nothing. I got nothing. We love Ephesians 2, 8, 9, don't we? For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself. Such an important little phrase in that, in that inspired text. It is a gift from God. Your grace and your faith is a gift from God. As not as a result of works, right? It doesn't come by works so that you could boast before God someday and stand before him and say, well, God, I'm here because this is what I did. Exit stage left and then he says for we are his workmanship see, see we're the clay in the potter's hand and the bible says the clay doesn't go out hey make me this I mean, it was just terrible that, that's, that's what false teaching does that's what bad theology does it says that the clay tells the potter what to do with you Hey, the clay's just happy to be in the potter's hands. I'm so glad, Father, you picked me up. You didn't have to do that. You would be perfectly righteous and just to leave me in the dirt. See, that's, that's where that praise comes out. We're so grateful for what he has done. One more verse along this line, and then I'm going to take you to a passage. James 1.18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. That means that we are not some spiritual, um, you know, accident in some way. Oh, shoot, I forgot Scott. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> by his will, from the foundations of the world, he knew he would draw me to himself. That's love. I think the, the free movement misses the love of God. They try to talk like they're the love of God, but I think they miss it by forever because basically they took a God who they say is a loving God and they tie his hands and make him wait for us to do something. His love is not powerful enough to break my will. He's sitting there waiting, and I hope Scott goes to VBS this week. No, he exercised his will from the foundations of the world before even I was a sinner. He knew me. And he knew it would take the death of his own son to draw me to himself. And he planned that. 
And you can tell someone that you're, you're witnessing to that, that God, if, if, if you get saved, if you open your heart and you repent, tell them to repent. They will understand. You can take them through that and say, God knew you. It's God doing this in you. Steer them early away from works. Look at, look at Philippians chapter 3. I want to show you this text real quick. Man, this is something you could just really preach on a long time. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says here, for we are the true circumcision. What's he talking about there? He's talking about we're, we're truly the ones who are set apart by God. So to worship in the spirit of God, the glory and, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in our flesh. This is a mark of a believer. A believer, the trademark of, a, of the gospel, the trademark of a believer is we put no confidence in our flesh. And then he says this. Verse 4, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised in the eighth day, nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness with, uh, which is in the law, found blameless, period. Holy mackerel. Man, he's the poster boy of legalism <laughs> right he's done it all I, I've, I've done it all I didn't eat this I didn't go with those people I, I did this whatever I, I was all that look what he says to this verse 7 you know this text don't you but whatever things were gained to me he was a Pharisee killing Christians at one time he probably was wealthy and tied into Pharisee families those things I count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, <laughs> I count all things to be lost in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Savior, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and counted them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. It's almost like he heard the same message in Mark 8, and he wasn't even there. Because that's the gospel. Christians are marked as people who deny themselves. They lay down their works. They humbly come before the, the Lord God Savior and say, I have nothing to offer you. Will you save me? And Paul says, look, I, I, I lost it all. For, and he says, for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. A long time ago, a cowboy asked me, he said, Scott, I don't get it. Why are you a pastor? Why is church such a big deal for you? I told him, because I want to know Jesus. I want to know him more. I want to know him more every time I open my Bible. I want to know him. Now, I battle with my flesh just like you, but there's a great desire to know Jesus more. And when the church gathers and the doors are open, whether it's a Bible study, a sermon, praise service, whatever it is, I want to be there because I want to know Jesus. It's worth laying down. I've had men down through the ages tell me, look, I work six days a week. The only day I have off is Sunday. You don't understand. You're this pastor. You only work one day a week. You, you just don't get it. Is he surpassing to you? Knowing Jesus, is that, through his word, is that surpassing of all things to you? See, it's the mark of a believer. 
We'll lay it down. We won't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We'll, we'll come, not because we're gained salvation through church attendance, but because we want to be with God's people. We want to be with those who said, I will lay it down. I'll lay it down for him. As you turn back to your text, remember Jesus is talking to this group of people, very diverse. He said, if anyone, tribe, tongue, nation, people desires to come after me they must deny themselves and take up a cross this is just the theme of scriptures the theme of christians you remember augusta top lady wrote uh, that wonderful hymn called rock of ages the theme of that song is nothing in my hand i bring simply to the can you say a little louder simply to the cross i cling this is the theme of believers and you go, well, wait a minute, it's cross. That's, that's a problem, right? Because cross is represented death. Do you know that during the lifetime of Jesus, from his birth um, uh, by Mary to his death, it's estimated, and I had to write this down because I looked this up, 30,000 Jews died on a cross before he did. That makes you think a little bit, right? And Jesus is talking to this diverse crowd here, and he says, take up your cross and follow me. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. We know what crosses are about. You're telling us we have to die in order to follow you. That's the gospel. Die to self. Die to all that you would bring. And, and you can imagine them hearing this. You see, his point is crystal clear. If you follow me, there's a cost. <laughs> and that's why the prosperity gospel is so offensive. They tell you, follow Jesus and you'll be wealthy, wise, and healthy and all that. Jesus says, follow me, you might die. Are you willing? He told his disciples, look, if the world hates you, remember this. They hated me first. Follow the master. Second thought, there's an incalculable value of Christ's gospel. There's an incalculable value of Christ's gospel. Notice verse 35 and 36 and 37. For whoever, now we're back to that crowd, those tribes, tongues, and so forth, right? Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, I, I really see some neat stuff here. I think some of the commentators I read, and I, I've heard this message preached so often, love to face, you know, focus on the negative of the text. And, and sure, there are, there are those who want to cling to their sin and self-righteousness and, the, and their acceptance of the world, but, but I want you to see that this text has great encouragement in it. It's, it's for us. By those who believe, you and I, if you're a believer in this room or you're listening to this, by the grace of God who are willing to cling to Christ, abandon our own uh, desires, our own human thinking of how to come to God and follow him, we gain eternal life. That's as clear in the text as the negative part is, right? So whoever loses his life, verse 35, for my sake and the gospels will save it. There's a great... There's a great value to this. It's incalculable when we think about this. And I think this is what Jesus has done for believers. He's, he's so captured your heart that you're willing to leave all your preconceived ideas of who you thought he was and who you thought you would gain 
And you did it for his sake, for his glory in the gospel, and you followed him. What an amazing story. Later, in this, similar in this time frame, he's teaching in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, he says things like this, the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he hid, and then notice what he did. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. And so he gives this little parable of someone who is out searching and, and looking, and he comes across the gospel, which is represented by a treasure in a field, and he will sell everything to have it. Everything to have the gospel. Because the result of having the gospel is to have the kingdom of God, to have eternity. He goes on in that whole text, and he, he really gives an idea of a man who's met, met, maybe met a, of a merchant hunter or a treasure hunter going um, through cities, and the kingdom of God is like a merchant who seeks to find pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, maybe he's gone from jewelry store to jewelry store to, to all kinds of things, and he found, comes to one place, and when, when he found that, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Ooh, that's the gospel. This is such good news. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's Christ in his glory. It's freedom from sin. That's what this entails. That's what this entails. And if you're saved, you get to this, you get to this thinking and you go, Lord, please help me with self-righteousness that arises in my heart. And maybe you're here today and you're going, Scott, I don't really like this. You, know, you don't know who I am. Um, this is where God wants you. Remember, and Paul said, I'll, I'll give it all up for the surpassing knowledge. Notice verse 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man? Notice the words in here. What? What kind of profit do you think you'll gain? And, and even if you had the whole world, but you forfeit your soul. Verse 37, what would a man give in exchange for his soul, well, the rhetorical question is for believers. Isn't that kind of hard to see in this life? We work so hard, right? We tell our children, go to school, get degrees, get the best jobs. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the Bible says, will you give it all away to walk with me? Will you take away anything in your life that would rob you from having me in the end? This, this is a balance. We have to figure this out as Christians who work in the world and have businesses and, and jobs and so forth. And you go, well, what is, what is God asking of here? I think what he's asking is the willingness. What's, what's tied to your salvation? Is, it, is your identity and your job and your person, is your identity of who you are, Christ? Which one is it? In Korea, during the Korean War, it was a very, very difficult time. I, I, we don't have as much information as we do on some of the other wars of the Korean War, often called the Forgotten War in some places. Um, the Korean church is, is, even today, spoken of as maybe one of the strongest churches in the world. And not because of their numbers, but because of the fact that they don't compromise. During the Korean War, I've, and I've shared this illustration before, but um, let me use it again because it's strong. Um, the, the communists would come in and the gospel had taken hold in Korea. And there were many churches that met during the war. 
And it was dangerous, but they refused to not gather. They, re- they refused to not hear God's word preached. They refused not to gather and pray for their country, for each other. And so churches would often gather. Well, the communists figured this out, and they would go and they would attack on Sunday mornings. And when they would find where Korean churches were gathered, and there these communists would come in and often would shoot their pastors and leaders in front of them and, and try to disband and break them up. Well, one particular instance that's been recorded in, in Christian history is one particular church, they came in, did the same thing, surrounded all the aisles, got on the sides, held everybody at gunpoint, and, and so forth. And um, one, one very wicked leader saw as he came in through the foyer, there was a picture of Jesus hanging in their little, little teeny foyer that everybody came in and out. And they said, look, if you spit on Christ as you go out, we won't kill you. You ever heard this story? It's an amazing story. And one by one, many people went out and spit on the picture of Jesus and walked out. And be very careful. Be very careful. <laughs> what would you do? They're going to kill your children in front of you, your wife in front of you, and so forth. The little girl is one of the latter ones to come out. She comes out with her family. She pulls up her little dress, and she wipes all the spittle off of Jesus' face. And she says, recorded by many, I would never spit on you, Jesus. I would die for you. Moved the commander so, so dearly, he, it broke his heart so much, he got mad and just said, let's go, and he took everybody off. And, and she, by the grace of God, stood for Christ. And, and it was a very humbling point where many people repented that day that they did not believe a text at this level. They did not say, I'm willing to deny myself and take up the cross and follow him because it's not going to profit me. The Reformers, there's so many wonderful stories down through the Reformers where they would march families out into the snow and said, we're going to start running swords through your littlest one and we're going to work our way to you, Dad. Unless you confess or recant that Christ is not... Salvation, salvation isn't alone through Christ. Story after story. When you think of what's going on in our world, I read this this week, very disturbing. Kenneth Copeland, uh, the guy, dollar guy, I can't pronounce his first name, Serflo, uh, uh, whatever that, very, yeah, you guys know who he is. Jesse DePlants. Copeland has a $55 million jet. Dollar has a $70 million jet. Duplantis has a $54 million plant. The Apostle Paul was hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless, according to 1 Corinthians 4.11, and then beheaded. The Apostle Peter, when asked if he had silver and gold, he said, silver and gold, I have none, and he gave the gospel crucified upside down later. Followed by another guy I like to follow on Twitter. He had a picture of all the homes of these three men. They're massive, massive homes. They said they can feed small countries by the income of these. They showed a picture, and then the last one says Paul's home, and it was a picture of the maritime jail that he died in. What difference does it make if you gain the world and lose your soul? What would it come to Fanny Crosby, the great hymnist, blind all her life, when asked if she would 
give her sight, get, what would she give for her sight? She said, nothing, I would never see Jesus more clearly than what I see him now. She wrote these words, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With my Savior watching o'er me, I can sing through billows roll. Listen to her vision in this. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let me view his constant smile. Then throughout this life's long journeys, he will lead me all the while. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust shall be till with clearer, brighter vision. Face to face, my Lord, I see. Oh, the height and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Take the world and give me Jesus. Wow. That's, that's our theme, isn't it? That's the theme of this text. Lord, what do you want? Let me not get in the way of your gospel. I don't have time to t- turn there, but Luke 12 is, is very similar. In a very similar time, Jesus is teaching that parable. This man looks at it and goes, well, I got all this stuff. I'm going to tear down my barns. and I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I'm going to sit on my front porch in a Cracker Barrel uh, rocker chair and look at all that I've done. And Jesus says, oh, fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. Is gospel worth that? What kingdom are we building? These are things we must think through. Last thought here, three. Are you branded by or ashamed of the Son of Man? Are you branded by or or ashamed of the Son of Man? One of my favorite movies is a Lula Moore movie. Um, And in in the saying, um, in the movie, there's a saying by... Oh man, my actor just went out of my head because I can't remember actors' names. But he says this, are you riding for the brand or are you running scared? Mm, it's a good one. Are you riding for the brand or are you running scared? Are you riding for the brand or are you riding for yourself? The idea is, are you, are you with this outfit? This is Christ's outfit. You can imagine here, these disciples are all with him. He's talking to these people of Caesarea and he's saying, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross and follow me. You got to deny yourself and follow me. They've left everything, they've left their nets, they've left their family, and they're trying to figure out what all this is about. And Jesus says, are you willing to be branded? Are you willing to be with me? Are we ashamed of him? So there's so much that comes along the thought of this. When you look into this text, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Hmm. Notice the little and between that. You see that in your Bible? This, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. This is an amazing text. It puts association to the words of Christ connected to the word of God, to the Bible. And there's people who say, oh, Jesus, Jesus. There's big Jesus movements. They go on and off and everybody gets into Jesus for a little while. But he puts together, are you ashamed of me and my words? Whoever. And then he says in this sinful and adulterous nation. Well, the world commits spiritual adultery all the time. They do every day. Lately, if you've not had your ears open, the conversation on abortion and life is just just roaring out there. They cheat the giver of life. 
The world is trying to steal the created world and say that they own it. They commit spiritual adultery with, with the religions of the world. They claim to know God, but they fool around with others. Jews did this. The Gentiles do this, did this. And quote contemporary Christians, they forsake the clear teaching of Christ and his word in order to get people to give, in order to get people to feel as though they're part of something. They, do. they turn from the lordship of Jesus Christ. And here these passages are so clear on his lordship. You want to follow me? Deny yourself. You want to build bigger barns? You may forfeit your soul. You want to be ashamed of me? I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. These words are some of the most scary words written in scriptures when you think about them. He says, here in this adulterous generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes. That's Jesus in the glory of his father and his holy angels. And here this term son of man is such an important term because look, if you're ashamed of Jesus, and I, and I grew up in some circles that didn't use the word Jesus. It was just, they just didn't like that word. And, and I learned to love that word because it refers to the Son of Man. And I want you to think with me just for a minute through this, the importance of this title. He is our representative. And he says, if you're ashamed of me, you have no representative now. See, Jesus became man so he could win us. Someone had to suffer in our place. A man had to suffer in our place. And so here he says, if you're ashamed of me, and so all these religions, false religions, and, and people who say, well, Jesus, Jesus wasn't fully man, and they, they reject his humanity, he says, look, I, I'm going to deny you to the Father. And it's so important to understand that he's our only representative. He's the second Adam to undo what the first Adam did. He's, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the kings. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. He is greater and he is our representative. And so here in verse 38, he says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you before the Father. What an amazing statement. And, and, and look, he says, look, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. And remember, they're thinking kingdom right now. He's saying, no, I have to die first, and then I will come back. And, but when I'm going to come back, I'm coming in my Father's glory. And how can he say that? And, so, and this is what's so beautiful about this text, and I've got to wrap these thoughts up and we'll move to communion, but think about this. He's fully God and he's fully man, and he's sharing, he's sharing the glory of the Father. See, to most religions, and you can name them, whether it's Mormonism, or Jehovah Witness, or any other religion in the world, they do not agree with that. He is not the God and the man. But we believe that. And we hold to that because if he's not man, you have no one who died for you. At least a representative. And then notice he says he'll come in his holy angels. When he goes to work, it's interesting, Matthew 13 takes us on and these angels, these elect angels have a role 
Just listen to this verse, verse 49, Matthew 13. He says, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man. Well, what cross do you want to take up? You want to take up your own? Or you want to take up the one and follow Christ? I, I know I've come to this church pushing for discipleship. And you felt me with that. And, and, and we're trying because we, we don't want a church of easy believism. We want you to know this book and this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to come and be a part of these things because there's so many who say, oh, I believe in Jesus. But the true follower comes and says, yes, I believe that. I'm willing to lose my life for the sake of Christ and his gospel. I'm willing to not build bigger barns in order to have my soul lost in that. I'm, I'm willing to lay it all down and I'm never, I'm never ashamed of Jesus. So that's what we're after. You put a group of people like that together and let God put his blessing upon that, who knows what God would do with us. And so we want to know him and walk with him and love him more and more. Father in heaven, we thank you for passages such like this. This is the trademark of the gospel. This is what it means to follow. Jesus was talking to the crowds. He was not just talking to a certain group of people. Here he had gathered them together. And he, he desired for them to know that to follow Christ means you have to reject yourself. And that goes against the fundamental nature of humanity. And yet, Lord, your spirit causes us to do that. Everyone in this room knows that the time they came to salvation, they laid down their life. And they said, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. Will you save me? And by your grace and mercy, you have saved us and you've given us a desire to know you. You've given us a desire to, to do whatever it takes to walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, through this message, encourage us, humble us to where we need to be humbled and cause us to love you in deeper and more profound ways as we go through this life. Father, thank you for those who have gone before us. We thank you for Linda and the remembrance of her yesterday. Thank you for so many others in this body of believers who have passed on, who ran the race, who ran through the tape, who realized that you had called them to deny themselves and put their faith alone in Jesus Christ, Lord. And so, Father, please raise up, continue to raise up people from Riverbend Community Church who model this. And Lord, we pray that even tomorrow as we venture into Vacation Bible School, that these truths of Jesus Christ alone saves will be proclaimed here. Bless that time. And Lord, now as we turn to your table, may you be honored by what we say here in Jesus' name. Amen.